Glad that you're here and excited to share with you what God has been sharing with me this week from Galatians 5. Um, let, me, let me pray for us again and we will we'll dig in. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for those that you've brought to this place uh, today, God. I pray that you would um, center our, our, our minds and our attention on you this morning and hear what it is that you have to say to us, Father. Uh, Lord, you have convinced me this week that this is deeply valuable and deeply practical for us, and I pray that you would uh, draw us into that, God. Free us from distraction, free us from uh, the enemy, and allow us to hear your truth, Father, in such a way that we would be able to to hold that truth, Father, and preach it to ourselves in the, the days and weeks to come. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Uh, so as I've studied this passage uh, this week in particular, I've, I've kind of centered around, I, I think when I've come to this passage before, I, I think the, the subject and the theme and the main point is freedom, but um, uh, I think there's more than that. I, th- I think really the, the, the heart of, of what Paul's trying to get to us here is a little further in that first verse, and it's to stand firm and we spent a lot of time this morning thinking and, and processing through the idea of, of what it means to stand firm. Uh, it's, it's really important for us. It's an imperative that Paul is, is using and is speaking to stand firm. He's calling us to stand firm uh, and stay strong. Hold your position. Stand firm because of what Christ has done. Stand firm because Christ has already set us free. Stand firm because it's over. It's over. Um, that's a, a really big reason for us to stand firm. And, and I want, like, in my prayer, and like this has been throughout the course of this week, that my, that my prayer would be for us to understand what it means and why we are and, and how we are to stand firm in such a way that it's not just like, it's not just Sunday morning because this, is, this sermon is really important. This message that Paul is trying to convey to us in these six verses, it's, it's really, really important for us to take beyond this hour that we're together today. Um, and so like the... The fervor and intensity of my prayers for you through this message is not for the next 30 minutes, but for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all of the Saturdays to come. That we would learn to preach the truth of this message to ourselves because it doesn't do us any good to stand firm on a Sunday morning if we don't stand firm on a Thursday night or a Tuesday afternoon. This is a message for all of our lives, and it's a really practical message for all of our lives because Paul telling us to stand firm assumes that there is a threat to keeping us from standing firm, and there is. And for the Galatians, it's an outside force that's a threat to them and threat to their freedom. For the Galatians, it's, it's people that, are, that consider themselves religious and consider themselves an understanding of their theology and who God is and are imposing something on these Galatians other than Christ alone for their salvation. And for us, we have a threat that's outside of us, threats to our freedom in Christ. That's to, through our 
willingness or ability or understanding of what it means to stand firm. There's a threat for us. There's a threat for you. And it's usually you. The threat to your standing in Christ or the threat to your understanding of your standing in Christ is usually yourself and things that we believe. But it's also bad teaching. Uh, a lot, most of the time, a lot of the time, when we believe a lie, it's because we've been taught poorly and spend a lot of time talking about how important it is to be, to, to connect with this message. It's really practical. And then I just said a threat to our standing firm in the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus is bad teaching. And here I am standing before teaching. So, um, it's a, it's a really big deal. Um, because we can tend to believe that we need something more than Jesus. And here Paul is imploring us to stand firm. Um, I want to show you a clip from a movie. Um, it's a movie called Braveheart. And you guys have maybe seen this clip before. Um, chances are you have seen this clip before. But you've seen this clip in this context at North Church before. Because it really tells a story. But before we, we get there, I want to I wanna set it up a little bit. Because you've, chances are everybody here has seen the movie. And chances are, if you, and a lot of you have been around North Church for a long time. So you've probably seen me use this clip before to teach this very same point. But what I want you to see in this movie, I, I don't want, I, I want you to look at the faces of the people in William Wallace's army. I want you to look at their faces and, and, and I want you to process, this is, this is it's some really good acting here and just short clips and you, they're just fast where you look at their face and I want you to see the fear and I want you to see the excitement and I want you to see the, I'm not really sure what I've gotten myself into. All of that, all of that emotion and, and maybe there's, there's other emotions that you'll see that I didn't see and you got to watch quick because th- these faces are only there for like, a split second. But look for the, the emotion and, and what's going on inside the brain of these people as their attackers descend upon them. And, and then as you see that, I want you to process through when you sense a threat to your standing in Christ. Connect with these guys and their faces. And they're like, they're ready to fight. But they're nervous and they're scared, but they're ready to fight. And like, they can't wait for these guys to get on them because they're, it, and there's just, just, it's schizophrenia. It's, it, it's like, what, what's happening? They're, they're jumping from excitement to fear and chaos is surrounding them. And, and I want you to connect with that because it's the truth of, of the threat that's inside of us and the threats that's outside of us. As our enemy descends upon us, may we stand Firm. Hit that, Coop.
people's faces. There, there's, there's one, a little kid in the back, like standing right behind Mel Gibson. And he's like, the first one is like, he's like, and then they cut right back to him. And, and he's like, there's this, oh my, I'm about to die. What? And, and then the, the guy that's, the, the bigger dude that, that throws the rock at Mel earlier in the movie, he's like with the blue on his face. He's like, you see him three different times. It's, it's like, let's do this. And then it's like, and then right before it happens, you see that, that look like he's standing next to, to William Wallace. And he's like, and like, there's so much um, like reality and emotion that's there. And, and I want you to see this is, the, this is the picture of what Paul is communicating. These are, are foolish Galatians who have been bewitched by someone outside of them. And Paul is now imploring them to believe, to stand firm, to hold fast, to be strong in what Jesus has done. And this is a perfect pick. Like this, this scene was made for this verse. Stand firm. Stand firm. And I'm imploring us to stand firm and not just for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, but to stand firm because Christ has done it. It's over. It's finished. There's no question. Do you hear me talking to you? It's over. There's no question. It's finished. Christ has done what Christ came to do. And more than that, the law has done, the rules have done what they came to do. And they came to point to Jesus. And we get it confused because there's an enemy that's pressing in on us. And it's a formidable enemy. And we're not really sure in the moment that Jesus really did what he said he would do. And there's fear in us and there's excitement in us. And there's nervousness in us, and there's fear, and there's excitement, and it's just a cycle of what in the world is happening because chaos surrounds us. Paul's imploring to us is to stand firm. Um, There's something really big that's at stake here. What kept these men, let's let's, let's ask a not rhetorical question. What kept these men in that that clip from, from not running away? What kept them from... To stand firm. What, what was it that caused them to stand firm? Do I need to say not rhetorical again? Hold. Okay. Mel saying hold. What did you say? Faith in William Wallace. Faith in a strong leader. Do you guys need a stronger leader than Jesus? Honest answer to that question is, is yes, you do, or you think you do. Oh man, did he just say that out loud? Faith in his leader, faith in a strong leader, hold, these are what Christ, what Paul is calling us to do in Christ, to stand firm. 
But fear, uncertainty, doubt, these are all very real things that the Galatians were in the middle of processing and that you have likely processed in the last couple of days and will likely process next week. What am I, what am I doing here? I'm afraid. I'm excited. I'm scared. I'm nervous. These are all reality things that the Galatians faced and what you and I faced. But in the middle of the battle, Paul's exhortation to you is to stand firm. What are we standing firm in? Verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We are standing firm in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. There's freedom from death, freedom from fear, freedom from jealousy, freedom from nervousness, freedom from sin, freedom from the consequences of sin. Do you know that you are free from the consequences of sin? Or we can not stand firm and submit again to the yoke of slavery. That is the law. On either side of us, on either side of stand firm, there in verse 1 are your choices. Christ or slavery. Stand firm in Christ or stand firm in slavery. This is why that Braveheart clip is, is so perfect for this because death is crouching. This is not some small miss. If we get this thing wrong, that maybe Jesus isn't all. Maybe Jesus and something is the reality. If we get this wrong, death awaits you. And, and that notion seeps into our brains. If I get this wrong, death is crouching. The enemy is real and right in front of you. We can cower really, really easily. Christ has set you free from the penalty of your sin. Move to verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify, again, that every man who accepts circumcision, that is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. These are, uh, these are really big statements of the, when the consequences of believing a false gospel are here and they're really big. Verse 2. I say to you, if you accept circumcision, and that was accepting circumcision is their practical thing about these guys to say, okay, it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus and a false gospel. The consequences of a false gospel, the first one shows up in the second half of verse 2. Christ will be of no advantage to you. When you believe a false gospel, when you allow your fear to overwhelm you, and you think you need to do more than just Christ, you nullify Jesus and what he has done. He will be of no advantage to you. Paul is speaking specifically to these Galatians people that, that Christ will be of no advantage to them if they follow a false gospel. That's, 
That's really, that's really big. Really important. Who here would willingly raise their hand to get in line to, to be Christ of no value to them? Like, that's, that's crazy. Like, I don't want to willingly get in line, but we do it. Consistently, when we trust in something other than Jesus for our salvation, we get in line to say, Jesus, you are of no value to me. Jesus says, if I can't be everything, I'm nothing to you. Christ will be of no advantage to you. And the opposite of that, of Christ being no advantage to you, is Christ is of infinite advantage to you. When we give ourselves fully to the gospel, Christ is of infinite advantage to you. And stay with me because verse 5 is beautiful and it's going to bring all of this together. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. When we want to keep a part of the law, we are obligated to keep all of the law and the result of keeping all of the law is death. We invite death when we try to keep all of the law. And I've, I've, like, I feel like I've said this forever, and I feel like Paul has said this forever, jumping up and down, screaming and yelling, don't make the law something that it's not. The purpose of the law is singular. I've said it at least 25 times during these few weeks that we're talking about broken religion. The purpose of the law is to point to Jesus. And once it's done that, it's done. Now it has a, that similar purpose over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like when you break a law, it points you to Jesus. Not your own, like you need to do this better. It just points you to Jesus over and over. When you see your sin, we can be discouraged and disheartened and broken and run away and be wimpy. Or we can say, Jesus. That's it. That's the false gospel tells us that Jesus is of no value to us. And that we're obligated to keep the whole law. But the real gospel says Christ is of infinite value to us. And he has kept the fullness of the law. Verse 4. Paul gets a little sarcastic and uh, maybe a bit punny here in verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You are severed from Christ. So Paul is, is really just talking about circumcision you want to go and be, and be circumcised. You want to have your flesh cut. Okay. The reality is, the spiritual reality is, that you are severing yourself. You are cutting yourself off from Christ. This, this is going to take a little bit of a thought with me. Walk with me here. So, in Ephesians and in Romans, it uses a word, the, the Greek uses a word, sealed. And that sealed is a one flesh word. And I've, I've taught many times. If, if you've ever been through any premarital counseling with me, I've used this illustration that when we, Genesis says we are torn away from our mother and father and united with our wife. Right? You, you familiar with that passage? And that tearing away is a spiritual reality. We're, we're torn away. 
there's a wound in us. If I ripped my arm off, there would be a wound on my shoulder and a wound on the end of my arm that was bleeding and throbbing. And that's what's happening in a marriage. You're torn away from your mother and father, but then you are united. That united word is the same root word for sealed, and it's the same root word here. Being one. You become one flesh. And if we are severed from Christ, that means that at present, we are unified with him. And not in like stitched up sort of way. Not in a like added to sort of way. We are one flesh. We are one in such a way that needs to be severed, like cut. And Paul is using the language of these people who had literally had their flesh cut. And saying to them, just like that flesh was cut, you're cutting your spiritual flesh. And I, I, I deeply wish that somehow we had the ability to see the spiritual realities that are happening. Every time that you and I sin and respond in a broken religion sort of way, we attempt to sever our flesh. A very literal spiritual reality. And, and that's the truth about what we attempt to do. And, and the point is, all of, all of that, to, talking about sealed and united and tearing away and all of that, is to communicate to you that at present, in Christ, you are one flesh. And this doesn't do it justice, because my hands are still separate. We are one flesh. And the only way to separate it is to sever it, is to, to physically cut it. And this is the connection that you have with Christ. And this is the vitality that we need to know because we're just like those guys in line with our enemy bearing down on us and our hope yelling to us, hold, hold, I've got a plan. Christ is imploring to you, hold firm to what I've said to you. We are one flesh. We are together, and I have one. The law's job is nothing but to show you how good I am. This is your Christ. Next one, the fourth piece here, the second half of verse 4. Who would be justified by the law? You have fallen away from grace. And let me be honest with you, this, this notion to fall away from grace, it really makes me scared. Wait a second. Fall away from grace. What does that mean? We can fall away from grace. Um, so it's taken me a long time this week to, to get to this point where, where I can communicate what's happening here to us. Um, so faith is the vehicle that takes us to grace. You understand that? You all got in a vehicle today and drove here. My Dodge was the vehicle that took me to North Church. Faith is the vehicle that takes you to grace. When we believe a false gospel, we get out of the car 
that takes us to grace. You with me? When we believe there's something other than Jesus that brings us into relationship with God, that saves us, that fixes our sin problem. When we believe there's something other than Jesus that does that, we get out of the car that takes us to grace. We hedge our bets. Um, and, and, and we decide that, okay, that's, that's good, Jesus, but, but what if it's Jesus and something else? I'm just, I'm, it's not going to hurt anything for me to go ahead and do these things. To follow these list of rules, to do all of these things in case it's not just Jesus. And what Paul is communicating to you, what Paul's communicating to me, what Jesus is communicating to us is no, that is willingly getting out of the car that's going to take you to grace. And you fall away from grace. Do you follow that? Let's go to to verse 5. And get ready for the, the, the coolest thing of the sermon today. Verse 5. But through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We eagerly await the hope of righteousness. Um, this one is... This is, this is great. The, let, me, let, me just, let me read verse 5 and 6 together. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The, just parenthetically here, your religious duty counts for nothing. For the Galatians, they're talking specifically about circumcision. We can insert religious duty, religious activity there. Your religious duty counts for nothing. This is, it gains no standing with God. It gains no standing with his church. It gains no standing anywhere. It's nothing. It counts for nothing. Verse 6. But what it does is produces faith in you which results in love. Let's go back to the hope of righteousness. For through faith in the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. This is, um, this is a really big deal for the, the sort of people that, that we are. The hope of righteousness. I've thought and taught and studied and considered this word hope a lot. Hope means confident expectation. I know that tomorrow is going to be Monday. I'm confidently expecting that tomorrow is Monday. There's nothing that can change the fact that tomorrow is Monday. This is hope. This is biblical hope. For us, hope is crossing our fingers. Hope is, man, I really hope this happens. Man, I really hope that happens. Man, I really, it, there's this, there's an uncertainty to the English word hope. 
There is no uncertainty to the biblical word hope. The only piece of it that changes the reality is that it's, it's for the future. Like, I don't fully experience this now, but I will fully experience it later. Do you see the, the differences in hope? I fully, 100%, no question, no fear, no doubt, no confusion of any kind, but I don't have it now, I have it later. This is hope. And, and it's, it's the, the, a good illustration is tomorrow is going to be Monday. It's not Monday now, but it's going to be tomorrow. No question. There's nothing that you can do to keep tomorrow from being Monday. And it's, it's always going to be, tomorrow's always going to happen. This is hope. But what is this talking about? The hope of righteousness. Like the thing that makes us want to run to broken religion or false gospel is the anti-hope of righteousness. My hope, my confident expectation of what's going to happen tomorrow cannot be in anything other than Jesus. But I want to make it something with me so that I can participate in it. The hope of righteousness is Christ. The hope of righteousness is not you because you are a wishy-washy, just like the guys in, in that scene, their faces are excited one minute and scared the next. That's you. There is no confident expectation in you. There is no confident expectation in me. The hope of righteousness is a powerful thing. And it's yours in Christ. Stand firm in it. Because we have a liar, an enemy, who wants to convict us of something else. Makes, wants to, us to run to something else. But the hope of righteousness is Christ. I want to leave you with this one thought. Cooper, hit that up there. I want to leave you with this thought. When the religious sin, they despair. When the faithful sin, they hope. Oh, how I pray that when we come to grips with the fact that we are wretched, sinful people. That we are faithful people and not religious people. When we come to grips with the fact that we are broken, wretched, awful sinners, the hope of righteousness exclaims to you, I've got something better. Stand firm in me. When we sin and come to grips with our, our wretchedness, the religion in you says, I'm done. I've messed up. Finally, I've broken the cycle and I'm, I'm, I'm done. I despair. There is no hope for me. Tomorrow isn't going to come. I think for a lot of us, this notion, the hope of righteousness, these words on the screen behind me are the gospel, are, are, are water for a dry and weary soul. Because we we're afraid 
We're nervous, we're scared, we're unconfident. We know who we are. We want to run and hide. But Paul implores us to stand firm in the hope of righteousness. This is your Jesus. It's finished, it's over. Be confident in him. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, I pray. That you would minister the truth to us. Cause us to stand firm in the hope of righteousness. It's settled, it's over, it's finished. That as confidently as we can know that tomorrow is Monday we can know that righteousness is ours. And even though we sin in this present age, in these present bodies, in this broken world, where we're assaulted with threats, we can confidently rest in the hope of righteousness because of your Son. God, guide us now as we respond. Help us to reflect and consider and to worship and exclaim the truth of who you are. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.